Hello, beautiful souls. We bring you conscious content filled with empowering information. Designed to align you with the fulfilling freedom of activated awareness. I am Rachel Alcyon. And I am Daniel Alcyon. Welcome to to the the Ecstatic Ecstatic Existence Existence Podcast. Podcast. Greetings once again, global family. We are here on the Ecstatic Existence Podcast sharing with you messages of hope, health, healing, and conscious content for you to improve and empower your life. We bring you healing information from all different avenues, from all different approaches towards health and wellness. This one's really special. Mm -hmm. Rachel and I have had the opportunity to attend some group therapy sessions that are very deep and very powerful, and it lasts a whole weekend long, and so uh, we call these the therapy marathon. Mm -hmm. And one of the many modalities that is offered there at the therapy marathon is something called psychodrama, which is a very unique avenue of therapy that I think many people don't know even exists. And... We have an expert here with us today to talk a little bit more about that. John Scandalis is a licensed mental health counselor and a psychotherapist in private practice in Seattle, Washington. He works with individuals, couples, and leads group therapy retreats, similar to the one that Rachel and I have attended. He has a master's degree from the Leadership Institute of Seattle, and he is a TEP, which is a trainer, educator, and practitioner of psychodrama, sociometry, and group psychotherapy. Welcome to the show, John. It is so good to have you here. Thank you. I'm very happy to be here. Yeah. And mostly happy to be here with the two of you. And it's a beautiful day. You have a beautiful place. It's filled with light. And so I'm very thrilled to be here to get to talk with you. Oh, thank Thank you. you. Yeah, we're coming from our high-tech living room yacht studio. Yeah. (laughs) Which is really special because a lot of our guests were over the phone or were on Skype from around the world. And so to be able to be sitting face to face with a guest is is wonderful. It's It's been a little while. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That was important to me to get to see you guys face to face, make the connection so that we could make this even richer Mm -hmm. because it's personal and it's professional. It covers both worlds. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And, you know, the work that you do has played a massive role in my life. Yeah, I was actually just saying to Daniel yesterday, we were driving, and I'm thinking, why would anybody ever put up with any amount of discomfort in their life? You know, if you're unhappy with any area, uh, you know, be it your relationships, your your health, your, I mean, you name it. Career. Your career. If you're dissatisfied with any area of your life, like, get some help. Like, there is so much help out there. Uh, get therapy. Many different kinds. And the kind of therapy that you specifically do has radically transformed my life. And I knew that there was more. I knew that there was more for me. I knew that my soul wanted to express in um, even deeper ways. I knew that I wasn't clear. I knew that the home that I grew up in was really dysfunctional, uh, alcohol, um, all kinds of abuse, and even stuff that was like below the surface, subtle things that weren't being said. And yet as a really highly intuitive, sensitive child, I was picking up on it and, and it was wreaking havoc in my life. I couldn't form a clear sentence or a clear thought. <laughs> and I was like, I couldn't figure out how to get what was happening inside of me out in a, a way that others could understand. And so I had a friend that was like, Hey, you know what? If you want to go really deep, call this number. And so 
yeah, I got into therapy and I was like, wow, I'm really fucked up. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then it was brilliant. It started changing my life. I, I, I stopped smoking. I quit my addictions. I, uh, called in my beloved soulmate and and Daniel and I were interacting in really beautiful ways and yet I knew we could take our relationship even deeper as well and that's when we started both together going to therapy marathon which really pushed a, a limit for you that was really pushing oh, an edge huge I mean I just I remember my first therapy marathon on my own I was just like wringing my hands just like pacing the house like nauseous and like oh god what have I gotten myself into um and uh and then going with him it was similar it was a whole different level of vulnerability that I had never ever experienced and yet I like to think and in fact I actually know this that we are in the top percent of awesome relationships and awesome lifestyle on this planet so and you know something that I want to share is that any of the nervousness or anxiety that you felt in going into the situation One of the things that I noticed right away in this therapy marathon setting is what a safe container it is. It is the utmost safe container that I've ever experienced. And so that willingness to share yourself and dive deep in a whole different way than you ever have before, it just, it makes it really easy and accepting because you know that there's no judgment. You know that everybody there has your best interest at mind, at heart, and you're in the hands of skilled professionals like John that are really going to help guide the situation in the most beneficial way. So it's a beautiful safe container. And so I'm sure most of our listeners are familiar with therapy, right? You go mm-hmm. and you sit and you talk about your problems and blah, blah, blah. Right? But that can have some really like interesting connotations for people that might be even negative. Right. And so I would love to hear from you, John. What is psychodrama and how and where can it be used? Right. So psychodrama is a method of therapy that is used many places. Traditionally, it was thought of as um, a a therapy for everybody. And so J.L. Moreno will talk more about this, but the creative psychodrama had a belief that everyone came from their first group. Their first group was their family, and that's where trauma happened to most of us. So his belief was we also needed a group for healing. And so that's one of the ways that I think about psychodrama is that it's a process mostly now that's used within group processes of therapy, like the marathon retreats or weekly groups that I run and other people run. But it was also designed or thought of as a place for people to connect, understand one another, and enact stories to facilitate a higher level of connection. And so Moreno created psychodrama that was part chapter a but underneath it is a sociometry which is about measuring the connections that are going on between people Hmm. and when we look at what happens in our culture around all the gun violence all those people are disconnected socially they're isolates and we only, at best, we maintain ourselves in isolation, but growth happens in connection with other people, particularly in groups. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. That That's is worth. just so interesting and profound because when you mentioned that a lot of our initial trauma that marked our entire thought and emotional process came in a group dynamic, right. that means even if it was one-on-one, like say there was a, a traumatic interaction with your father or mother, if you were the only people around at the time, it is a group dynamic because what are the interrelations between both of those acting parties and everybody else in the family? 
So it is a group dynamic no matter what. And then the idea that the only way to get to the root of that and to cause healing is in another group dynamic, that's truly profound. So the way I think about psychodrama is that it's a marriage of the theater arts with emotional therapy processes. So it includes things. So J.L. Moreno that created psychodrama was interested in the theater. And he noticed that people were emotionally impacted by the dramas they saw enacted. And he decided to explore that further where uh, he had actors come and join him that were interested not in reading from scripts, but improvising and allowing their own stories to come out in these scenes that were constructed. So it took a process of many years, but he got to this place where he realized that those acting out or expressing things in an action method way was far more healing and therapeutic than just talking about this happened to me or this went wrong in my family or my marriage is struggling. But he said it's about taking action and exploring the story through enacting the story. So he was a a very creative man and his ideas developed, as I said, over many years but he came to, I think, some really brilliant insights about what really helps people heal. And so, in part, trauma means something happened that hurt us at an emotional, physical, spiritual level. And so, therefore, in the healing process, it's about enacting some of those stories that were traumatic, but allowing for interventions or heroic attempts to make change that are actually done by the client, done by the person whose story is being told. So they get to be the hero of their own story Hmm. and make a change so that it starts impacting them on the inside once they've confronted an abusive father or mother. And they gain strength and they gain resource that they're also sharing with the group. So we're doing best as a culture when we share the best of who we are with the people that we're in communities with. And that was in part one of his beliefs. Yeah, that's so cool that, you know, to take a, a negative experience and then come out feeling mm. empowered mm-hmm. by, by having the do-over. Um, and in my bodywork training, you know, they taught that every physical, emotional, and chemical trauma is stored in, in the tissue, like at the cellular level. And yes. so I know from my own personal experience that going in and recreating these traumatic experiences and then shifting it so that it is a positive or even assisting other people in their work, playing a Mm. role for them, it has accessed deep cellular level stuff within me that then I'm able to make changes. Yeah. And then one of the big differences, probably the major difference between this and talk therapy is talk therapy is on an idea level. It's purely an idea. Like, oh yeah, well, okay, that's a good idea about forgiving and moving on. Okay, that's cool. I can think about that for Mm. 30 more years. (laughs) But now what you're talking about, John, is tangible it's like on a cellular on a heart-based emotional level of recreating these experiences with a positive result yes yes and so moreno used the word concretize to make concrete so things so that then instead of talking about it the director person that's leading the drama says show me so the idea is to then put into action and concretize the room or the setting that the trauma occurred in so already the energy is starting to build. The, oh, yeah. The emotional. Big time. Right, as it like, oh! <laughs> and, and perhaps, you know, at the beginning of a person's work, that is the work. 
Right. That's enough. Let the, exactly. We'll, we'll set up the room, and that's the end of the work. And then there's a processing. So Moreno created three elements to a psychodrama. And the first one is a warm-up. And the warm-up might just be the group coming together, doing a sharing, just how are you in this moment? What are you bringing to the group today? Something to get you warmed up to being there and engaging in the work. So that's the first part. The second is the action, doing whatever the drama piece is. And the third is a really important relational piece, and that's the sharing. So the go-round goes through every person in the group and shares about what that experience was like for them, how it related to their story. So it's a revealing and deepens the intimacy within the circle. And there's actually sometimes deep catharsis that happens as people share, oh yes, I have my story that was like that in some way. It's a coalescing of energy. It brings the group back together while the protagonist, the person whose drama was being enacted, gets to sit in an, we call it an imaginary bubble. They don't have to interact. They don't have to listen because they're actually deeply processing their work that happened at that time. But it's, it's a group process and we often benefit most, not just by doing a drama, but by observing it. The impact is deeper. Yes. I know for me, a lot of my trauma I had completely blocked out. And I suspect that's true for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. I mean, you have to continue living your life. Mm-hmm. And so um, when I first started therapy, I didn't think that there was anything wrong with my childhood or that anything had even occurred. Mm-hmm. Um, and then my therapist was like, well, Rachel, but wait, you just told me that like your father was an alcoholic and this and this and this. I'm like, yeah, but I, I didn't get beaten. I had enough food right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I had clothes, I went to school, everything was fine. Mm-hmm. Um, and through, like I said, being in other people's psychodramas or even just witnessing, uh, mm-hmm. it does all these like flashback of awarenesses and memories and body sensations and like, <gasps> and, and it's very beneficial to be able to share that after the processing is huge. Mm-hmm. The witnessing and processing is huge, you know, from my own experience in the group psychodramas, Like you're saying, John, sometimes just witnessing. The first one I went to, the whole goal I had was just witnessing because I didn't really know what I was going to expect. And my entire goal was just watching the process and observing other people in a safe container and holding space for them. That was like my whole real goal was more curiosity. And I ended up finding myself being worked by other people's work pieces. You know, they would Mm -hmm. divulge something. They would go through a work piece and, um, you know have a a radical healing over something that happened maybe from their childhood. And then I'm seeing echoes and mirrorings of things from my own life. Mm -hmm. And even if not, even if like, oh, wow, this terrible, this person went through this terrible thing and I didn't experience anything like that. There's some kind of a soul remembering. There's some kind of Mm -hmm. like a, a soul family. You understand more about this other person and about like the world as a whole, I think, even Mm -hmm. deeper. Yeah. And it's helped Mm -hmm. me too to, be more compassionate in the way that I interact with people and look at people because a lot of times I think that there's this negative connotation that people that go to therapy are crazy or they're weirdos or they're fucked up or whatever Mm. um or that they have drug problems or who knows or they're deviants right there's all this negative they're like too weak to fix their own problems right but then when you when you get there and it's like oh these are all like normal beautiful healthy successful high functioning high functioning people and they have undergone intense traumas things that i mean unspeakable traumas really 
and that they're bringing this to the light and to the surface, I'm like, wow, you really don't know what the rest of the world is uh, maybe concealing, you know, behind their high paying job or whatever. Yeah. So what was your introduction to this whole modality and how did you get interested in this idea of psychodrama? How did you learn about it? How did it come into your life? Right. Well, I was in my training or completing my training to become a therapist and was seeing a therapist at that time. And he said, oh, yeah, well, there's this uh, colleague of mine who's doing workshops. I'll invite you to come and see if that's something you're interested in. I had really no idea what what it was. He probably just said, yeah, it's psychodrama, but that didn't mean anything to me. So I went to the workshop and did all the similar things that you've mentioned, you know, was an observer, um, was just taking it in and holding the space, and then eventually did my own first drama, which totally blew me away. It was <laughs> like, wow, I get to be, I get to play these different roles for myself. And also, um, it was emotionally revealing of me, like in a way I didn't see myself or, or had this access into emotion that was hard for me to get to. But in the drama, and I think somewhere in there, I was role reversing and being my child self. I got fully that sense of the vulnerability of the child part, the emotionality of the child part, and also how scary it was in my own home environment. That I think my functioning adult just goes through goes through life, but it pulled me into places that I really have not had contact with in a long time. So I walked away and talked to the the person that was leading the workshops and said, "Yeah, I want to learn this. Hmm. This this was powerful for me personally, and it's a modality that I clearly got how helpful it could be in healing." After your first experience with it, you decided that that was something you wanted to pursue. Yeah, and that, that was is out of my nature. I'm usually more like, a, let me think about that. But I, I just, you know, it was pretty clear by the end of that weekend that it was like, this is something I want to pursue. And that's something that I really admire and love about you is that you are a therapist that is doing the deep emotional work. So many therapists of all different modalities um, you know, have a bodywork background, and a lot of there's a lot of massage therapists out there that aren't getting massage. They're not doing their deep work, um, and so yeah, likewise, right. there's a lot of therapists that aren't receiving their own therapy. That's right, and to me, that's the paramount issue. If I were going to seek therapy, that would be my first question: Are you working on yourself? Are mm -hmm. you looking at yourself in your own therapy? Mm -hmm. And it's easy if people are not doing that to work on their stuff with their clients. Oh, you know, like, you know, if I, yeah, <laughs> you know, like if, if I didn't feel loved enough, then I want my clients to adore me. And I mean, it's just really unhealthy and wow. and it's shortchanging them. They're not getting the healing that they came for. So it's really important to do. That. Or there's like that power play where like, I'm the fixed one and you're the unfixed one. Uh, yeah. And you know, my belief is I can, and I do learn from everybody that comes to see me. Yeah. I don't hold myself as. Oh, I mean, I hold the things I have knowledge of and my training in, but it's it's not like I'm better than you. It's that I have a skill set that I can be helpful to you with. But you have your own wisdom. You have your own knowledge, your own experiences. And I learn a whole bunch of things that are really helpful to me. Totally. Yeah. So I'd like to get deeper into this now. We've We've talked a little bit about just kind of hinting around the edges at, John, you mentioned that you got to 
play yourself and be your own child role and then a role reversal like what does that even mean because i know that a lot of people out there can't really picture what this even looks like so what does a psychodrama session look like in practice right yeah so at least in the context that i practice it there's a group and there are usually two facilitators that are trained in psychodrama and We'll do a go-around. Someone might speak up. I want to work on this relationship issue, whatever the topic is. And either we, the directors, would choose them, or sometimes we have the group do a choosing process. So then they're identified, and we call them then the protagonist. So it's their story, and that's borrowed from theater. They're, they're the hero that's enacting the story. And so we'll help them begin by talking about what is it they want to work on, what's, what are the core pieces they understand, so we get some knowledge. But we want to, don't want to do that too much, because it's about action. So we'll often set up a scene where this conversation or trauma work takes place, and then have them choose people from the group that will play roles. Could you maybe walk us through, this is how my brain works, Mm -hmm. maybe for our listeners, walk them through a hypothetical situation, maybe. Make it more specific. That's a great idea. So so let's say uh, a person speaks up and they say, I want to work on my relationship with my wife. Mm -hmm. It's very difficult. We're having a lot of conflict. So we would set up an initial scene. So where are the two of you? Well, we're at home. Let's set up the living room space. Because each of these is part of immersing ourselves in the energy and the flow of what happened. And so we'll set up the bedroom, we might, or bathroom, whatever it is, using chairs or other elements to set the scene. And so then we'll say, okay, who else is here? In that case, it would be, you know, so who in the group can play your spouse? Mm -hmm. And they'll identify, choose a person for that. We'll have them positioned in the room where that person says, yeah, we were sitting on the couch talking. And then we'll have that person sit down and say, okay, well, how did the dialogue start? Who spoke first? And if their spouse spoke first, we would then role reverse them. So they would trade places on the couch with their wife and speak the lines. So imagine it was something like, you know, well, you're home again late, you know, like the, in, the intro to the conflict. And then we would roll reverse, and then they would respond to that. Yeah, yeah, I was stuck in traffic, and this happened, and this happened. So we'll facilitate trading off until we have an active dialogue going. And and partly in that, we're training the person, we'll call them the auxiliary, who's playing the wife's role. They'll start to get a feel for what the wife responds like. So after a while, there would be fewer roll reverses that person would get a feel for, well, you know, you're always making excuses. They would, you know, improvise some lines, which is called a role extension. They're extending the role and being creative with it. So they're creating a role. So that dialogue would happen. We might then also pull them out at some point, have another person come in and be you, and have them stand aside and watch some of the dialogue. So therefore, they're getting this outsider right. perspective bird's eye view of themselves interacting with yeah in action so sometimes insights start coming out of that mm-hmm. like oh yeah i'm doing that defensive thing god that's so crappy because i'm just holding her at arm's length mm-hmm. so we might put them back in the drama hold your arm out extend it and block her what do you notice what does that feel like you know so you're trying to tune into the body as well and if there's a suggestion that the blockage 
is about history, then we'll say, okay, so bring in your mother and right. let's and do let's have a dialogue with mother about you know what you couldn't tell her about who what you really wanted in when you were a kid or how she was always humiliating or shaming you you know like work work with that so we might then have a second scene that's about the family origin and then processing through that there might also become emotions or or some insight and then we would probably in that third scene bring them back to the relationship with their spouse and then try that out, dialogue, and there often would be a shift. They might come back with more empathy or a more compassionate stance or realize they do need to speak up and be more empowered and speak what they want or don't want. You know, but often, and then bring them back out, maybe observe that dialogue a little bit and say, what are they noticing watching it? So all the switching around is to help them play different roles and see what they learn about themselves in the process and what they might utilize in their day-to-day -day life and then end the drama and then do that share. And they just get to percolate with the work. Often it takes that full week before they come back to the next session to really gain insight and say, you know what, here's what I learned. Because it's not evident in the moment more often than not. So that's what a session would look like. Yeah, so cool. You know, I have received so much insight from playing the role of some of the people that have caused harm in my life that have injured mm -hmm. me deeply emotionally. And like, I remember one time I was playing the role of, well, I played myself and then we switched and I got to play the role of my father. And uh, that was really powerful to be able to stand in his shoes it was like I put on the suit that was my dad and I got to like feel his feelings and think his thoughts and s mm -hmm. use the words that he would use. And I got to receive so much, um, yeah, more insight as to why he would have behaved that way. Like what deep wounds was he dealing with or like uh, emotional tools he didn't have and what it would have been like to be him. So yeah, that's really profound. And I also like that you said that it can take a whole week. I remember when I first joined group, probably like the first year of my group therapy, and I was in group therapy for, well, about six years. My first year, I, it would be on Wednesday night, and all my shit would come up. And I would be so messed up the next day, Thursday. I started creating my schedule so that I could like have all of Thursday morning available just to sleep in and process and be like, wow. What the hell yeah. even happened last night? That was crazy. And then I would keep doing my work and I'd have different things I needed to be accountable for. And it would take me well until about Monday to feel like, oh, all right, I've got my life together. And then Tuesday would come and I'd start getting the anxiety of going to group on Wednesday. And then Wednesday would happen. And it was like this whole ordeal of like being in it and processing it and we're... It was a, a real polishing that happened specifically that first year until I got the hang of it. And you know that multi-role perspective that we're talking about is truly unique to this practice. Mm -hmm. And that br it brings in the drama aspect like you're talking about, the mm -hmm. theater arts. Mm -hmm. And there's something about the way that we learn through story, through actual narrative and through drama that you can't get from just talking about what happened over and over again. It just becomes a loop. But now what we're talking about here with the psychodrama is you get to play a role. You get to, like Rachel says, step into the shoes of another person or yourself at a different state 
and relive a different experience. And it like, it just starts to embed in a deeper way. You know, it moves far beyond the mental point and you get to experience the whole situation from so many perspectives. It's, it's amazing. You know, I've witnessed examples of, you know, this is kind of a broad hypothetical again of how these can work out, but there's examples of where somebody might do a psychodrama that happened when they were a young child. And so now this person gets to play the role of them as a young child, play the role of their parent, then come in as their adult and console and talk to themselves as a child and actually hug themselves as a child to have a complete healing circuit. And the first time I witnessed something that played out like that, I was amazed. I was like, whoa, whoa, this person just hugged their own inner child in the physical world, not just a, an idea of it, but they gave themselves a hug and says, I love you. It's going to be okay. It's next level. I mean, it takes, it takes that whole idea of like, oh, what would you tell yourself when you were 12 and write them a letter? I mean, it takes that whole yeah. idea to like infinite beyond. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I, I think it's important. Partly what makes that work powerful is that as you step into that other role, role reversing, you're stepping into an altered state of consciousness. Mm -hmm. And psychodrama doesn't do overt transinduction like some therapies do, but nevertheless, it is very hypnotic. So therefore, you're, I think, open or can be open in different ways, as I was in my first psychodrama than you could in normal reality, day-to-day -day reality. It shifts, possibilities open up, or, or awarenesses can open up that make it this deep experience rather than I talked about what happened to me as a kid. But when you're in the drama, you're enrolled as a protector of your child and you're berating or fending off the parent that was attacking you then you're standing up for yourself. You're protecting yourself. And you might roll reverse into the vulnerable child, but then back into that powerful adult that's there to protect and keep the child safe. And that is something then that gets carried. So when things happen, you can speak up or be that champion for yourself. What that creates, what that creates is this crazy immensely interesting, almost like a time machine. Mm -hmm. It's like we have a time machine through this practice because we can heal the past. We can travel back in time to where the trauma mm -hmm. occurred and change how it played out so that present time, our future self, has a different memory and a different feeling about it. It really is like having a, a therapeutic time machine. Well, and then quantum physics has actually affirmed that that's possible. Yeah, the timeline, the linear timeline of one, two, three, four, five is only how our brain chooses to decipher and interpret the field of time. The thing that I love about psychodramas as well is that not only are you able to heal trauma, but you're also able to receive the things that maybe you didn't receive. And so I, I found great benefit from that as well, where I get to go in and I get to really, in an experiential way, be little Rachel at like three years old, whose dad never said, I love you. And then get to experience that and then take that forward in every area of my life. Cause if I'm living my life thinking that my father doesn't love me, I'm going to show up in a one way. And then if I get to experience what that actually feels like to grow up with a loving father, then I'll live my life in a completely different way. So when you're talking about getting to experience little Rachel at like three years old, how does that happen? There's a whole interesting process here that some of the protagonists get the option to choose 
for an age regression. Mm-hmm. Well, and maybe maybe John could share more professionally what that looks like. Yeah. So those are often the the richest for people that have deep trauma because the, the child part is often split off. And there's a, a term that some people have used in the in the work where there's the cave of innocence and that's the innocence reside there. And so therefore the work is to go and get the child and recover them and reincorporate them. So the, the drama can be where's the cave and then having the protagonist with another person playing the child self go and retrieve them, take them by the hand and they could be kicking and screaming, who the hell are you? Because we often dissociate from those vulnerable parts of ourselves. But in the process, bring them forward and with a lot of role reversing, coaching and help, work towards, I'm here for you now. I didn't know that you were in this much pain. I didn't know you were lost and I'm here to reclaim you. I'm going to keep you safe. And you would role reverse so they could experience the vulnerable child part express emotion, mad, sads, and roll reverse back to that healthier adult part. And therefore, there's there's a dual benefit. It brings that contact with that vulnerable child part, so they know that tenderness and that vulnerability, and also claiming the, the healthier part of their adult self that says, I'm looking out for you now. Yeah, that mom and dad really blew it, but I'm here now, and I love you, and I'm going to take care of you. Those are rich, rich experiences that enliven them in their day-to-day life, but also in their internal life. And so speaking of day-to-day life, what are some of the ways that childhood trauma can show up in somebody's life? Like, how do people know? I mean, because like for me, I had blocked it out. I had no memory of it. Um, And I shared some of my own stuff. But what are some of the things that you're seeing that people come to you with because they have a need for maybe a psychodrama? Right. Well, in the therapy work, it's there's a range of things about right. what, what is trauma. Um, but the one that we most typically identify are people that have survived or grown up in homes where there was physical violence or there was uh, emotional violations that happened or sometimes even an early death of a parent. So it's often when people come in and they're having a really hard time to take good care of themselves, or they have kids and they're not taking as good care of their children as they would wish, or they keep running into drama after drama in their work life or their married life, um, and they struggle with Mm self-care. So like addiction? Yes, addiction show up in that process, or they're checked out. Like, you know, they go to work and they're productive at work, but they come home and they're emotionally absent from themselves and from their partners or kids. So they're not filled with with joy in each moment. No, well, they're still in that kid place of survival. Mm -hmm. So life is about survival. It's not about feeling the richness of love and life and connection. So either they struggle with it or their spouse or someone in their family says, oh man, you've got some things you need to work on. Financial troubles, could that be one? Well, the way I'm thinking about a particular model is that oftentimes people have those trauma stories sometimes are so hardworking and take so little time off and something like they might prosper financially, but they're they're struggling emotionally 
and sort of dead, dead in the sense of they're not feeling what they feel. So they're kind of, you know, like walking around the world without having a lot of feeling in it. Right. And aren't able to connect deeply with other individuals. Yes, absolutely. And so that could show up in many different ways, like romance. They aren't able to really engage in romance. Yeah, perpetual self-sabotage or health issues, like allowing yourself to become sick. Even injuries and accidents, too? Absolutely. Much research has been done in correlating emotional pain with physical pain or physical injury. So as we heal ourselves emotionally, then our bodies, or we take better care of our bodies, or oftentimes people with those trauma stories have tons of issues with digestion, elimination, There's a way that they haven't processed their trauma, so they don't process their emotions, their food, all those things are sort of, you know, getting stuck or being waylaid. So when they heal those emotional layers, then their body is starting to heal as well and has less issue. You know, something that we have touched on is the abuse factor of when there's any kind of trauma, but... What can also be the case is neglect. Absence can be a form of, of trauma in and of itself. Just because you think back and, quote, nothing happened. I didn't get beat with a rubber garden hose. But if your parents, if your family of origin wasn't there for you and understanding and supportive and loving and accepting of who you are, that's mm-hmm. in and of itself its own its own damage to work through. Yes, Well, and that's relevant to my story, because as I entered my own therapy, it was like there was nothing bad, quote unquote, that happened. But as I went into my story with my therapist and I shared that my mother was not home when my sister and I were young kids, even coming home from school and we made our own dinners and we did our homework and we put ourselves to bed and then she showed up, uh, she said, that's neglect. Mm -hmm. That is neglect and that has impacted you, your relationships, all these things that I was coming into therapy to address. But I couldn't identify it as that was an abusive or a traumatic experience, but it was. Right. Or even if you had a parent that just lived on the couch, watched TV, you know, with a beer in their hand. Yeah. And you're like, hey, Dad, look at me. And you're like juggling in the corner. (laughs) (laughs) Well, maybe you juggle. You're, You're the juggler. Yeah, but yeah, kids need a lot of attention and they need it. Some of it needs to be focused. Like I'm paying attention to you. Show me your juggling or show me that homework you're so proud of. It's affirming themselves. It's affirming that they're important, that they matter. So that's part of, you know, having a healthy childhood. And so part of therapy or maybe part of the psychodrama is, and I sometimes do this, I lead the person by their hand, and we walk and we face and engage with each person in the group and ask for, you know, like, what did you just see Tom do in this work, you know? You stood up, you said who you were, you said what you're about. That was wonderful to see. You know, it's taking in that connection, that affirmation, that having a, a community can do for a person. And I think as a culture, we tend to block that. You know, something that was really profound, too, for me when I joined group was starting out with brags and shares, because in our culture, bragging is like, oh, you don't boast or talk about any good thing that you did ever, or you're a bragger. You're a self-centered boob. Right, right. Yeah, but it is a healthy thing. Mm -hmm. And to receive praise and acknowledgement, Mm -hmm. yeah, it feels really good. 
And sometimes in our society, too, what you'll have is if you ever do get into a place where it's kind of sort of okay for you to share something you're proud of, then it's immediately trumped by somebody else. Like, mm. oh, well, I'm really proud. I got this promotion at work. And somebody else is like, well, I just did this thing that's even better than what you did. <laughs> you know, and it's not yeah. actually like received and reflected. Yeah. Yeah. Or false humility. Yeah. Oh, shucks. Yeah. That, you know. But that, and that's not even taking it in. It's not even it's allowing. deflecting, right? Yeah, deflecting that little piece that you feel so good about. That's a good thing. Okay. So we've talked in several ways about how. There's very specific things involved in psychodrama that I don't think you see in other forms of therapy. Mm. And so what's the most basic difference? If you were to distill the difference of psychodrama versus any other form of therapy, what makes it stand out and be so effective? What makes it different? Well, in part, it's, as we had talked earlier, it involves a group. So it's a powerful medium where you're being witnessed in the work that you do. So that's one aspect. Another one is that... It involves the body. And Moreno, that founded psychodrama, was trained as a psychiatrist. He was a medical doctor. And at one point he said, you know, how can you expect me to do this work and not include the body? Mm. And so the idea that a person is enacting the story, though, and as uh, we may have mentioned earlier, you're doing a walk and talk, where to begin the work, the director, the person leading the work, will take the hand of the protagonist and walk slowly in a circle and say, so what are we working on today? That's the initial warm-up to being in action, to moving. And therefore, it's holding more awareness of what's going on in the body than other therapies. So, you know, you might ask, as they have more emotion, where do you feel that? Hmm. So place your hand and breathe into that part that's feeling sad now. Or maybe the part that's feeling mad now. Or maybe you'll have some like stirring in your stomach or tension in your chest or a pain in the neck or whatever, and that's where you would place your hand. Yeah, yeah. So it's starting to plug in the body. Um, and it, it can be a different because it involves that physicality. Um, so we've had people do, sometimes in their drama, anger work. That's powerful stuff. It is powerful. Yes, it is. And so there's what they call doing accommodation work. So if someone's uh, perhaps expressing their anger at an abusive parent, they'll have someone to the side that is the voice of that parent and set up uh, with batakas or rackets to do the anger work and pound on pillows so they can fully get mad, pound, and that person will accommodate by each time they're hitting that pillow the accommodator is going, oh, oh, oh. So they get the satisfaction of their inflicting pain in their drama work, but no one's being hurt and they're being held in safety and they're being observed by the director so that it's a way they get to express emotion and get it out of their body. Because otherwise it's just, it's just words. This is about physically shifting your energy and when that stuff is held inside the body that's the root of sickness that's where illness and yes. you know you can just straight up have a aneurysm or a heart attack by holding all that stuff in and not having a healthy release for it sometimes i like to think of that our anger it's kind of like a like a pressure cooker or mm. a steam kettle you know mm. it's just going to build up and build up and build up and if it doesn't have a vent if you don't have a way to let it out healthily it will explode and it's either going to hurt yourself or it's going to hurt other people 
And so what you're talking about in this controlled environment anger work is that steam valve. It's a release to let some of the stuff out without doing that explosion harm, you know. Or giving the inner child aspect of you the opportunity to get mad. Maybe they were in a situation where they it would have been unsafe to really voice how pissed you were about what was going on. And then yeah. you get to take that stand for yourself. And I love that psychodramas, of course, with my body work and my dance background, brings in the body. I mean, you see this time and time again in a lot of really effective healing modalities, like even in yoga. I mean, you'll get into a certain yogic posture and emotions start to come out or even in alexander lowen's work where like you breathe in a particular way or you maybe you fake cry for a little bit and then it becomes a real sob um, and the emotions begin to flow so yeah getting the whole body online i think is really imperative in accessing deep emotion and then getting it out at that cellular level Mm-hmm. Or you flip that fake cry and do a fake laugh for a little while. Just oh, like right. take like on a, a big, deep, fake belly laugh for a little while, especially in a group of people. And the next thing you know, it's like contagious and real and there's tears streaming down people's faces. And it's the most hilarious thing ever because your body like gets lit up by this fake laugh. And then the next thing you know, it's absolutely real. Yeah, because trauma yeah. restricts the processes of the body, right? Yes, absolutely. And another thought about that, about using the body is... Um, in dramas, when you're trying to access the child part, having somebody just be on their knees brings them down to a child level. Right. Because we forget that when we were kids, we were so much smaller and adults were that much bigger or the world was bigger. It shifts the perspective. Oh, yeah. And that's Definitely. really powerful in getting people to understand how the world was different for them. Instead of saying, it was different for you when you were a kid. This is actually a physical experience of it. Yeah. That's pretty yeah. Cool. And something that's coming to me right now is that not all of the psychodrama ends up being these big production work pieces. Some of it is specifically being work. Some of it is very specifically a person will maybe want to access a certain age, anywhere from infancy to maybe like... Or in utero, even. Yeah, in back. utero, farther yeah. back. But you could say, you know, I, I really want to relive my fifth birthday. You know, it was it was kind of shitty, and I'd like it to be a different experience. I want to live my fifth birthday. And so then that person can, like, there's no specific work, but they can just be five all day long. And then everybody else gets to have a great experience with, like, hey, you're so cool. Let's play this. Let's. What do you want to do next on your birthday? And then that gets to be ingrained in physically, in their cells, in their mind, in their heart. And so some of it's not always the doing. Some of it's just being in a space for a while and having that be okay. Yeah, like one time, it was for my birthday, actually. And you get to choose what you do on your birthday. And my parents, because I was conceived in Seattle and then they moved very quickly to Colorado, so they didn't have any friends or know anybody. And um, so my mother never had a baby shower. They didn't have a baby shower for me. So for my birthday, I was like, you know what? I want to have a baby shower. For me. For me. And so I got to like regress to this infant in utero state and then have people say nice things about me. Like, oh, I'm so glad that you're going to have a girl and I can't wait for her to be here and she's going to be awesome and what a gift to this planet. And and like give little, I got a little stuffed animal that I still have to this day from my baby shower that I never had, but I got to, then I got to have. It was, it's been really profound for me. For some reason, this just made me think of the whole kind of 
theme that has come up in a lot of different movies of people like faking their own death just so they could watch their funeral and see all the nice things that people say right. about them. Yeah, it's almost it, like that. You get like to that. do that in you psychodrama. You could do that. You could do that. Right. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Daniel was so awesome and creative, you know? Mm-hmm. And like, But you don't need yeah. to have it be like faking your death. You can just hear all this stuff. You can take it in. Yeah. 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 And we've, I've done that in, in a couple groups where we have the person, actually sometimes it's been um, elderly clients that are, you know, in that life stage where they are looking at the end of their life, oh, their own death, and having them lay out on the floor, covering them, and having the community, the group, share about how important this person was to them, what they learned from them, how they're going to miss them. Yeah, the impact that they had. Their, yeah, the impact of their life, because that's a natural part of the life cycle, to, to think about what's my legacy, what am I leaving behind? Hmm. But they get to sit there in that place of calm and just listen and take it in and they they learn things they feel things so then you know at the end of the drama we bring them up off the floor and they're part of the group again but they're holding within them and sometimes we'll even have someone be the scribe and write down those affirmations the praise the appreciation that they got so they have something concrete again they take home that can be, so powerful. It so helps. Beautiful. It really helps. And you could really see that that would alleviate a lot of potential stress. If maybe if they were experiencing some mm. stress about this coming transition, you know, getting to experience that and remember it, it's like not so scary anymore. You know, they've mm. already kind of seen the other side a little bit. Yeah. And we, we were talking a little bit about prenatal work, which is more associated with corrective pairing work. Um, and there's... Uh, and I'm actually working on a, a presentation I'll do at the National Psychodrama Conference next May. And we'll be doing what, what I call it that are enactments. They have elements of psychodrama, but they're not full drama pieces with role reversals. But this will be around prenatal work and having people get to experience what it would be like to be in the womb and having a healthy mother and father be there to affirm you, to give all the positive messages that a child would need to hear in order to grow into that first stage of life. So it's it's out of the box for psychodrama, and it has elements where we're going to enact those kind of scenes that we do in the corrective parenting work. But I think it's it's new or it's not used in that other broader psychodramatic community. But I'm going to design that and bring that to the conference and see how it goes. Cool. It's They're really going to love it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, really exciting. That's my desire. So, John, how can our listeners, we have listeners from all over the world, so how can they connect with you to if this is really striking a chord with them and they want to learn more about psychodrama, uh, mm-hmm. whether to work with you individually or just to learn more about it, how can they reach out? All right, so there are three ways they can do that. One would be through connecting my website, which is www.johnscandalis.com. Dot com. So it's J-O-H-N-S-K-A-N-D-A-L-I-S dot com. Or through my email, which is jscandalis, S-K-A-N-D-A-L-I-S, at yahoo dot com. And then my phone number, which is area code 206-522-6992. I'd love to hear from folks if they have any questions or anything they'd like to learn more about related to psychodrama or therapy work. Yeah, beautiful. 
So you said that you're going to the National Psychodrama Conference. So Mm -hmm. if people are global listeners, aren't in a position where they can necessarily meet with you, is there an overarching location that they can get information? Yes. So there's what's called the ASGPP website. That's the American, so I can't remember all the initials here, but American Association of Psychodrama Folks. So it'll have uh, listings of practitioners or TEPs that are at least all the way across the U.S. And there are probably other links or information if people live other parts of the world, because psychodrama is worldwide. There are a number of practitioners now in China, Australia, all over the place. So they could probably get some information there or some other links. Cool. They can access it around the world. Yeah. Gosh, you won't regret it. It's totally life-changing in the most positive, beneficial ways. It's changed me. Yeah. It's changed how I see my world and how I react to other people and the level that I can empathize and connect with other people. Mm-hmm. It's been really influenced by psychodrama. Mm-hmm. And the amount of joy I'm able to take in and the uh, amount of abundance I'm able to receive. Mm-hmm. All good. All the good. (laughs) Yeah. I would say that my personal largest benefit has been the amount of Mm self-forgiveness of my younger self and maybe Mm -hmm. some of the choices or experiences that happened and some of my decisions about them. So that's been really healing for me. Yeah. The theme of this is there's help for you out there. If you're listening to this show, there is help for you out there. You don't need to do it alone. And help can look a myriad of different ways. So reach out, contact a professional. Uh, John listed some wonderful resources. And you could always reach out to myself, to Rachel, or find a therapist near you. And even if it seems like it's something that's really small, but it's just been like this little bit of a thorn in your side and you want to get to the root of it, like, why do I keep doing this? Why do I keep having this exact same experience with all these different people? Um, or it could be something that feels so big and so overwhelming and so shameful and scary that you don't want to even look at it at all. There's nothing too big or too small that can't be helped by psychodrama. It could be a quick one in and one out, or it may be something that you really want to work at for a while. Especially those patterns you mentioned, Rachel. If it keeps coming up again and again, psychodrama is a fantastic way to do a pattern interrupt Mm. and go back to the root cause of that pattern and switch it, turn it to something else. Yeah, Moreno believed that psychodrama was for everybody. And he said, the goal of any therapeutic method is the healing of all mankind. So he held a vision that this was for the world, for communities and people to learn about psychodrama and use it. And, you know, and to heal the world, to heal all those hurts and traumas that people have experienced and help them find community and belonging. Because we also, we function optimally within groups. And this is part of what makes healthy community and which is also where we feel the best when we're belonging to other people and they know us and love us at a deep place. A healthy social organism. This is what we strive for. Do not hesitate to reach out. You can get a hold of me, Daniel Alcyon, and you can find me at ecstaticexistence.com. That is my primary website. And explore around. There's so much information for you there. You can also check out the Ecstatic Existence Facebook page. All kinds of new content coming out there all the time. And I would love to work with you privately. There are many ways in which you do that. Uh, You can either email me at ecstaticexistence at gmail.com or go through the website and follow the links and you'll find out what that looks like. 
And I am Rachel Alcyon. You can find me at rachelalcyon.com or Facebook, Instagram, uh, Pinterest, various places. And uh, again, yeah, there's a lot of support here for you as well. Reach out to me for a self-discovery session or at the very least go to my website and get a free copy of my ebook. There's a lot of really juicy content there. It's like over 40 pages of really amazing material. So um, get yourself a free copy. And as always, this show is listener supported. So we come at you completely for free. It's downloadable and streamable for free, hosted on online. And we do it ad-free because we don't want any outside parties or commercial interests mixed in with the show. So if you'd like to show your support, three ways you can do that. Number one, tell a friend, tell everyone you know, Mm -hmm. and encourage them to listen to this incredible content. Yeah, let them know how much it's changed your life and all the cool Mm -hmm. things you're learning. Yeah, you just learned all about psychodrama. You probably maybe have never heard about it before today, and now you have a good idea about what that looks like. So number two, second way you can do that is through our social media sites. Drop some likes on the Facebook page, subscribe on iTunes, leave comments, talk about what episodes you like, what you got out of it. That's really helpful. Ask questions too, because that helps us navigate what you want more of. Yeah, absolutely. If you ever have a further question about any episode, just let us know. And we'd love to interact with you in that way. Maybe reconnect you with the guests that we had on the show. And the third way that you can support the show is financially, because it does cost money to host the show online, to have the bandwidth and the storage capacity for the show. And Daniel puts in a lot of time. I put in a lot of time. A lot of love and sweat into this show. And so you can do that through patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N. And in the search bar, type in ecstatic existence. You'll find our campaign there. This is a service where people can become a patron of the arts for media creators. We're creating this media for free, and so if you choose to support it, maybe put a value of however many dollars per episode that you feel is appropriate, and then it's a monthly donation, so you can do anything from a dollar up to a thousand dollars. We'll accept it all. It all makes a difference. We'll take even five. You want to do? Yeah, we'll take five thousand dollars a month if you decide (laughs) that you're getting that much benefit from the show, which wouldn't be surprising. It's pretty Mm -hmm. great. Check that out, and I'd like to end the show and wrap up our beautiful circle in time together. Yeah, John has a beautiful gift. One of John's other gifts, and that is the ukulele. He uh, plays a beautiful uke, and we would just love to hear whatever song you'd like to share with us today on the way out. Let it be a, a lullaby for your heart. Yeah. This is what I like to play at home. Uh, I like to play it sometimes in group when it's appropriate. And it's just, it's just a classic one, and it's, it's uh, a love song. For the child, Hmm. the child part. You are my sunshine, my only sunshine. You make me happy when skies are gray. You never know, dear, how much I love you. Don't take my son shine away. Thanks for having me on.
you're stepping into an altered state you're of consciousness. Stepping into an altered state you're of consciousness. Stepping into an altered state you're of consciousness. Stepping into an I'm here for you now. I'm here for you now. I'm here for you now. I'm here for you now.